Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. Today's guest on Better Than I Found It is Auburn University women's golf coach, Melissa Llewellyn. Melissa and I go a long way back to her days growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma as a junior golfer. She was also the daughter of a Hall of Fame golf coach, and she's been successful pretty much everywhere she's been. Uh, She did coach at the Tulsa University. She coached at Arizona State and won a national championship and has been doing a great job at Auburn University for several years. I think she's a very, very interesting lady. She's a wonderful coach and a good friend of mine. I hope you enjoy. Okay, better than I found it, listeners. Let's say hello to Auburn University women's head golf coach, Melissa Llewellyn. Welcome her to the podcast today, Melissa. I really appreciate you taking time out on a Christmas break to spend an hour with me. This is going to be great. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. 2024. I can't believe it. can't believe I'm coaching in 2024. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, you know, I've got a lot I want to cover today um, and I want to do it as expeditiously as possible. So I don't want to wear either one of us out on this, but um begin by just recapping your fall season. I mean, I've seen the results. I know the ranking, but tell me about your fall season this fall. So our fall season was felt like really good and not so good. Um, Two tournaments we played really well in, had a chance to win um, in Nashville and North Carolina. And sandwiched in between those two tournaments was the Chicago Windy City, great field, great golf course, um, just really didn't perform well. And then uh, our final tournament, we were without, without um, our U.S. Women's Am champion, Megan Schofield, um, and Katie Cranston were both at the World Am. And so we played at Stanford, and uh, we struggled. And so it was a good opportunity for growth and knowing that we can do some great things. And uh, we've got a new player coming in in January, so we're quite excited about that. So I think it'll really uh, kind of – change the dynamics of our team and our performance. You know, you mentioned uh, having two players in the World Am, and that does definitely affect the team result that week. But that's a pretty high-class problem to have, don't you think? You know, those are first-world problems, and um, (laughs) we're so proud of those kids. And, you know, anytime you get to represent, number one, your school, your country – I mean, it's it's just a it's just an amazing thing, and it's not ever to be taken for granted. No, I I agree. The World Am is is a great event, but it does conflict with college golf in the fall sometimes. So, uh, some teams that might, if you are fortunate enough to have one, two, or maybe even three players playing in the World Amateur, it's a uh, it definitely hurts your team that week, but it it helps in the long run. I would say. Um, spring schedule. What does that look like for y'all? Uh, we start off early February and we're headed to actually uh, end of January. We're going to do a one day tournament at uh, Georgia as an individual. And lots of times that's for players that don't have a chance to play. Well, I'm we're, we're so deep and competitive that uh, we're going to take some of our better players to that tournament. So um, that'll be our first one. And then we head to Puerto Rico for some warmth. And mm-hmm. then uh, after that, we head to uh, the Darius Rucker. Or sorry, the Moon Golf Invitational, and then Darius Rucker, Augustus, Augustus tournament, and then end back up in Athens to complete our spring season before we get ready for SECs and postseason. 
Wow, great schedule all over the place. Um, where is the SECs this year? Uh, it's changed to a new location after 10 years. Um, it's going to be at Pelican Club outside of Tampa. Very nice. I've been there before. Nice spot. Yeah, good. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks for kind of updating us on your fall season and, and kind of preparing us for what you were looking forward to this spring. I know you're excited about it. Um, but if I can switch gears here a little bit, when I became the head golf coach at Oklahoma State University, I followed certainly a legend, Mike Holder. You growing up in Oklahoma, you very well knew who Mike Holder was. I know you do. Um, but, you know, and, and a lot of coaches through the years that follow uh, legends or follow icons or, you know, they, they're in succession and they follow like whoever follows Nick Saban. I really feel sorry for this guy. <laughs> it's going to be a rough go, but you, you actually, it occurred to me, you've done this three times. So I'm going to, I'm going to say you, you've followed legends three different times and you've done well, all three places at the university, Tulsa university, you followed your mom who you played for, but you followed her and she had won multiple national championships at Arizona state. Uh, Right before you was a lady named Linda Valsett, who I think won six national championships at Arizona State. You followed her. And then at Auburn, where you currently are, you followed Kim Evans, who is just one of the sweetest, dearest, most awesome, great coaches that I've ever known. It's like, wow, how you've done so well following people who are really, really successful. That's hard to do. How, how have you made it your own in each case? How have you done that? Well, to, to follow, I always just make a joke out of it because I'm like a wear size 10 and a half. So I've got big shoes and I always say big shoes to fill. Um, but the thing that connects all three of those is that each of those coaches basically recruited me to come and be the coach. Um, you know, I, I credit my mom for, for getting me into coaching because I had I knew I was ready to to hang up my my clubs playing Um Thought I'd use my marketing degree, go into sales, something. I, I really didn't even entertain coaching. And my mom uh, at that time said she was ready to retire. And she said, I really think you'd be a great coach. And so she got me to or asked me to be her volunteer coach at her last national championship. And, you know, just to try it on for size. And she put me as the head coach. We didn't have two coaches at that time. So she put me as the head, as the coach. And I coached every day of that national championship and I fell in love with it. And so um, that was one coach that recruited me in. And then Linda Volstead, when she um, kind of sadly retired early, uh, you know, had, had called and, and, and encouraged me to come and interview for the job. And then uh, Kim Evans, the same thing at Auburn. And so it was, just to know that those coaches had belief in me. I think belief is just such a huge thing. Um, kind of set me up for some success and just some belief that I could, could do this. Um, gosh, when I started, I had no coaching experience and you would think just because I'm a coach's daughter that I would know things. And I really, I mean, I was on tour for, for, you know, playing professional golf for 14 years and very disconnected from the, the college world and coaching. And so to come in with no experience, uh, to be a head coach, I apologize to that first team every time I see them because <laughs> I made so many mistakes and I just really didn't have a clue. And I think that's the thing that's been the driver of, of always, you know, trying to answer questions, try, trying to figure this thing out. Um, you know, I'm in year 24 
I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And, and I still don't think I have it figured out. And I think that that's, you know, coming in late as a coach um, with a lot of responsibility. And then, you know, then after a couple of years at Tulsa going to Arizona state, you know, one of the most prestigious programs in the country, like, I'm like, I am in over my head and I had, I got to do everything I can to figure this out. And so I think it's just been my desire to keep, I feel like I'm a, you know, I just started so late that I just want to keep learning. Well, keep that attitude. That's, I think that's one of the greatest, I think there's two qualities that keep coaches vibrant and relevant. One is a a nonstop, unsatiable desire to learn. And number two is enthusiasm and you have both. So I, I'm not concerned that you're going to, um, you know, ever fall off that wagon for sure. But I will say this, you say you were terrible when you first started, but you did win the conference championship both years and you finished 10th and 12th at the NCAA championship. So you, your mother left you with some pretty decent players and you didn't she mess left me with a She left me with a great team and I did everything <laughs> I could to try to mess it up. And well, they were just talented enough to overcome that. So that's good. That was fortunate for you because you didn't have to suffer a real low time. So, but you know, it must have been like a great honor and thrill to have played for your mom. Um, I, you know, I, I think what would that have been like to play college golf for my dad? It would have been fantastic. And, um, but I also know you're a very different coach than your mom. And I remember watching your mom in actually in action. I watched your mom coach and, um, there's some things that are similar, but there's a lot of major differences too. Can you kind of go over the similarities and the differences between your style and hers? I, I actually think they're vastly different. Um, you know, at, at the time, the years that she coached, you know, for so many years, she couldn't have any contact with them during the round. And so she had to, you know, outwardly show her enthusiasm when the, you know, when something, a great shot and she was kind of known to, sit up on a hill and raise her fist in the air and, and, you know, jump out of the cart and get excited just to really show. And, and honestly, she would raise her fist for any good golf shot from any player on any team. And I think that's one of the things that she was beloved for is that she just, she just loved golf and, 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 and appreciated good golf. And, you know, so she really would obviously cheer a little harder for her own players, but um, would always cheer for a good golf shot. Um, I still think, you know, I do the same thing. I really appreciate good golf and the hard work that everybody puts in. Um, but she was, you know, she didn't have any formal training for coaching. I don't know any of us really did. Um, but, you know, I learned a lot from her and, um, you know, and the, the type of players that she recruited, um, I think were similar in that as well, is that maybe not always getting the number one player, but getting players that we think that I know that I would enjoy coaching um, and being around. And so that collectively, even though everyone's so different personality, um, just seeing things in players that we, I think would make a good team Um, from a different standpoint. I think my mom was a bit of more of a dictatorship. (laughs) um, Whereas I really believe in the voice of the player I mean, they're the ones experienced it. They're the ones living it. You know, when you coach for so long, things change. And I think it's really important to, to listen to the player's perspective. Um, I, I let them participate in making some of our team rules. Um, just, you know, they're always going to be harder on it than, than a coach would. 
And so some of the stuff they come up with is pretty crazy. And, you know, you don't be late for workout. That all, that's all I can say. And they collectively <laughs> put together what, what the punishment is. Um, so, you know, I, there probably are a lot of similarities, but, um, you know, she was very demonstrative. I'm a little bit more laid back and, and, and chill, I think, um, with a lot of intensity on the inside. I just may not show it as much as she does. Well, you know, I think your mom might have been just a victim of that's what coaches were in those days. More than anything, it was my way or the highway. And players had to look for their coach for most all the answers. Nowadays, these kids come in with coaches, swing coaches, sports psychologists. Yeah. I mean, it sort of was her way of the highway. It had to be because she was the only voice in her in their games, pretty much. That's exactly right. I mean, in every sport, I think, you know, kids would go to college because they didn't have access to to different things that a college program could provide. And nowadays, you're right. I mean, they're all surrounded with their strength coach, their mental coach, their, you know, all these, you know, swing coach, all the different things. And so now I look at me as just part of their team. And because we all have to communicate together and uh, try to be on the same page and, and, it's, it's hard to make that happen sometimes, but um, yeah, I'm just, you know, my, my assistant coach and I are just, we're a part of their team and that's how we look at it. Very good. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, playing golf for your mom. I think you got to experience something that if it ever happens again, it will be really, really rare. And that is you won the NCAA individual title playing for your mom, whose team won the NCAA championship the same day in 1988 at New Mexico State University, Las Cruces. I was talking to Maggie Roller about it just last week when I told her I was going to interview you for this podcast. And she says, yeah, we had a pretty good team. I shot one under the last round and we threw that score out. So talk about that 1988, how proud you were to be able to play for your mom, win a title, and then we'll go into a little bit darker side of that same week as well. Yeah. In, uh, in 1988, I mean, if, if, if our team broke 300, we were pretty pumped. And so the fact that um, in that final round, we all shot under par, um, you know, we, we, we had a terrible start and we just dug in the next three rounds. Thank goodness it was a four day tournament and, you know, just played amazing. Our own blue Canander shot under par. Um, I mean, just so many great stories from that week. And, you know, down in uh, Las Cruces, there's a, an A on the mountain. And my mom said, okay, that's the three A's. It's, um, let's see if I can remember it, <laughs> uh, attitude, ability, and atmosphere. And mm. she's like, if we create the atmosphere, then you have the right attitude. The ability will come out. And we just kept thinking about the three A's all week long. And then, uh, you know, for our team to win, you know, we just go through so much together. I'll, I'll never forget. Um, we were at the first tournament in Albuquerque and they would always introduce the teams at the little cookout. And for some reason, we all stood up when we were introduced and we stood on our chairs. We decided we were going to stand on our chairs. Like we were, we had these two hotshot freshmen and we were just, we had missed the national championship the year before. And it was just like this enthusiasm that just evolved and it was like, we're here. And that's how we made everybody notice us, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, I think shooting then, under par in the final round, I think, I think they took notice then. 
Yeah, I always say let your clubs do the talking. Um, and then to be in the, you know, to be in the last group and to win the national championship as an individual with my mom as a coach, my dad was, you know, my mom would, my dad was there and my mom would walk up to the 18th hole is up this hill, par five. And then she'd come back down and with all five players and it got to me in the last group. And then I, you know, I had my son umbrella. It was kind of like my own little bubble. And I peeked up and I saw my mom and dad walking hand in hand and they never even walked together on the golf course. You know, one was four caddy and one was back here. And to see that I like, I had to put my, my eyes back down on the fairway as I was walking because I was going to get emotional and, uh, you know, I ended up playing really solid that week and made so many putts and all that practice that I did the couple of weeks before imagining putts going in to win the championship. I mean, it just came to life. And uh, really, truly, it's one of the things that motivates me and my coaching is just to have that memory is so embedded as one of my you know greatest memories of my life and how special it was with all the circumstances that um, I just want my players to, to, to experience that. Well, what a story. Um, I, it, like I said, I don't think it'll happen again. Mother coaching daughter to a national championship and the team wins the same day. That's, that's, a, that's stuff of legend right there. But um, unfortunately, here's the dark side I was talking about earlier. And I remember when this happened, but I got zero details on it at the time. And years have passed, 35 of them to be exact. And uh, several months later, uh, both titles, your individual title and the team title, were stripped away by the NCAA. I think because of the track and field team at TU got in trouble or on some issue. Can you tell me about that and kind of take us through that? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, tough one. So it was not too many months later after we won, um, we were told that our team title was going to be stripped away. And then actually my title, because I was an individual, was going to stand because because of Title IX and you had to have a minimum number of men's and women's sports to compete at the Division I level. Well, our track program um, at Tulsa was, was having some struggles and they didn't have enough athletes to run the different races. Instead of you know, basically forfeiting a spot in, in the race or the heat, whatever they call it. Um, they would have one player or one athlete run as Bob in, in heat one, and then he would run as Jim, the same person under a different name because whatever the rules were, um, they, they just didn't have enough players to field a division one team. Ironically, when I got to Auburn, the NCAA compliance officer that was on the case became my compliance officer when I came to Auburn. Dave oh my gosh. And we sat and we chatted about that. I said, and he said, he was the one that brought it up to me. And I said, oh my goodness. He said, honestly, he said, that was probably one of the saddest cases that, you know, what the penalty was in, in all of my time at the NCAA. And because it had nothing to do with we, what we did, um, but because the track program wasn't in compliance to be, you know, it, it put us out of compliance to be Division One. And so, since we won a Division One NCAA championship as a team, 
they strip that title. So if you look at the record book, it says vacant. And then individually, I got to keep it, my title, because I could have been, I think, you know, division one, division two, or division three, that was the championship. And since I was an individual, they let me keep that title. Um, but it was a, it was a very devastating time. And I actually know the guy who he was on the track team. He was a Sigma Chi. I was a little Sigma, little sis for the Sigma Chi's. And he ended up, you know, he's went to law school and he thought it was wrong. And you know what? It was wrong. And mm -hmm. he called, he called out the athletic department with never an intention of hurting our title, but it, it was what it was. And sometimes when you go through dark times, better things happen. And so it, it made the university of Tulsa athletic department, get their act together. Um, you know, make sure that something like that never happened again. And it took a very long time for them to, for university of Tulsa to induct our team into the hall of fame. And I think it was an embarrassment. I think they were trying to avoid it. And they finally did it maybe five years ago. So fortunately, you know, my mom was still alive and, if, if they'd waited any longer, I mean, we were all pretty ticked off about it, but they did the right thing. They honored us. We told the story and, you know, years gone on, it's in a much better place. And so that was tough. And every year when I, you know, the team looks at the, the catalog and the program and they're like, coach, weren't you, didn't your team win or, you know, or I tell the story and you just never take anything for granted. Hmm. You know, I can't think of a bigger injustice. And those poor athletes, you were one of them, and your mom to have lost the national title on a literally a technicality over something you had nothing to do with. It's yeah. it's crazy, crazy. Well, the serenity prayer comes to mind. <laughs> things you can control, things you can't control. Oof, that was a yeah, tough you, one. You can't control that one for sure. Um, besides your mom, who was your biggest influence on your game growing up in Tulsa? So I know your mom had a lot of influence on that, mm -hmm. but uh, one of her best players, probably the <clears throat> best player she ever coached was Nancy Lopez, which to me is a stunning job of recruiting. And just to get Nancy to Tulsa was amazing. And she's literally one of the most popular female athletes of all time, certainly golfers of all times. Um, but who who did you look up to as, as as an LPGA tour player in those days when you were a kid? Oh gosh. I mean, I mean, it would have been, well, Nancy was still in college. So at that age, who did I look up to? I looked up to Judy Rankin. Um, she just won everything. And, you know, whenever there was golf on TV and women's golf, it wasn't often, but Judy Rankin was always winning. And, uh, he was she the wasn't the first lady to ever win a hundred thousand dollars on tour in a year. <laughs> It that. was significant. It was significant. Yep. Um, Joanne Carner, uh, you know, when I played on tour, I got to play with Joanne Carner. Just a funny story. I have to tell it. Oh. Um, playing in Youngstown, she was kind of towards the end of her career and had the BT times or maybe CT times. So I was paired with her at 7.30 a.m. And she had overslept and shows up with her always her red lipstick still had her lipstick on, but she had her pull up shorts turned inside out. So her <laughs> pockets were like rabbit ears. And so she goes to, you know, 
stick her hand in her pocket and she's just like, you know, I mean, she's just so gruff and funny and she was just all discombobulated and um, bogey the first three holes. And I'm like, Oh boy, you know, this is going to be a day and uh, ends up shooting under par. And I was just in awe still that day, but she just had a terrible start of the day, got out of the wrong side of the bed, showed up late and still performed. So, um, she was just, just in, just a competitor. Um, yeah. So I just, you know, I, I think, but growing up in a household of college golf girls coming through our house, um, coming to dinners, Christmas parties, all the different things. I mean, I just looked up to all of them and I just thought it was, I was like the little mascot. I mean, my mom got me matching outfits with the team and, you know, I'd get to go to tournaments every once in a while. And, you know, I was just, I was like a mascot and, just love being around them. I get to play with them every once in a while and practice with them. And I, I even, you know, did that bad, you know, hands up high club shut inside the path like Nancy Lopez did. And my mom was trying to like, uh, you, Hey, that's not what you want to do. And I'm like, but that's what Nancy does. She's like, well, that's not how Nancy swings it. So you don't have to do everything like Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> that's good coaching right there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we all have heroes growing up. It sounds to me like there were some tour players that I watched very closely, like you just said there, that were heroes. But also it's interesting that your mom's players uh, meant that much to you. See, I know it must have meant you were kind of pointing toward I'd love to be on a college golf team one day. Um, but also something else happened when you were in high school, too. Uh, I think you were 15 years old, the 1983 U.S. Women's Open at Cedar Ridge. Um, and I know you played. Uh, my twin sister, Patty, played in that event. She did not play very well. Um, Nor did I. <laughs> but it I have a vivid memory of that week. Jan Stevenson ended up winning. But I remember watching Joanne Carner hit a tee shot. And she it was one, two, three, four. The up the hill par four. Mm-hmm. Win was hard off the left. I mean, blowing hard. And she she had a cut shot at the time. And so it's like those trees on the left were blocking her out. She couldn't start it. She went back two club lengths, got as far back on the tee as she possibly could, basically teed it up on a pencil and hit it over those trees and hit the cut shot that ended up in the fairway. I thought, man, Hello. I don't have that shot. I don't have that <laughs> shot for sure. But I remember that week very well. What do you remember about the 83 uh, U.S. Open? Well, most people would look back and go, how hot it was and mm-hmm. I was so excited that I didn't even know it was hot you know growing up in Oklahoma it's just going to be hot but it was a hundred over 100 degrees that week and um I played early the the, the first day I mean I, I went down to Colonial and qualified and I was 15 I was so excited my mom was co-chairman of the event my dad was in charge of, of uh like media and score scoring he was in charge of scoring and so you know my parents were working the tournament I birdied the first hole and managed to get, I was one under through six holes and my dad put my name up on the leaderboard. So that was like a big deal. And then I proceeded to shoot 79. So, you know, it just started well, didn't end well. Um, I think I shot 83 the next day. The golf course played so hard and so long and, um, I think people so fast. underestimate Cedar Ridge actually Oof. to me was harder than Southern Hills. It was harder. It just was. Yeah. It's just a you know, different style of golf course, yeah. but just a great golf course. Every single hole 
the first hole is the only what I call easy hole. And every other hole after that is just, you better, you cannot fall asleep. And, you know, I snooze many times during that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> well, my twin sister, Patty, did as well. And she, she has similar memories. She shot about the exact same scores. I think she shot 83-78, so pretty similar to what you shot. Um, <laughs> so thanks for the memory from that U.S. Open. I remember it quite well. But um, I've always said this, and I always believe that success leaves clues. And so... Uh, you've been successful everywhere you've been. You've you've been a conference coach of the year five times. You've won five conference championships at three different schools. So you've won at every school you've been at. I think you've had 14 top 10 finishes at the NCAA and 10 of those in the top five. And you've won a national championship. So, and you're not even close to being through. You've coached 22 All-Americans, five college or conference players of the year. I mean, the record is pretty outstanding and you got to it late and you weren't even a coach. So it's like, this was not a planned deal. So you have to have some qualities that kind of help set you apart. And I know it's hard to talk about yourself, but give me one or two qualities you think help you be a successful coach. Well, I, I have to re reflect back on my, my probably growing up just always wanting to be successful and I would make notes and I would write things down and I would, you know, set goals all the time. And, you know, that was just something I don't remember anybody telling me to do that. Um, I also, you know, I was the kid that I would dump out my penny jar all the time and I'd spread it out on my bed and count it like every week. If I got yeah. more money, I, I wouldn't just add it in and, 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 and add the tally. I dumped them out and I counted them again. I mean, I just, you know, I just always wanted to grow that, that penny jar. Um, and just, I think love the process of it. And I don't know how that correlates at all, but I just, one of those funny memories, um, you know, just always wanting to figure out how to get better. Um, you know, I think, years that haven't been as great and then we've had I've had great years with teams and the common denominator is that doesn't matter if you're ranked number one if you're ranked number 25 if you're ranked 125 we're all just trying to get better and you know I think that being a, a number one ranked team and winning a national championship and then being on the other end of it, I mean, you really, it really taught me to appreciate the good times because they don't always last. And it's really hard to stay at the top. Um, and so I just, the mantra is just, let's just keep getting better. Love it. I love it. Um, we mentioned that earlier. I said two qualities that I love enthusiasm and an insatiable desire to get better. You've got them both. There's no doubt. Um, we both know NCAA championships are really hard to win. Some people say, well, no, they're not. Well, just only one team wins every year. And so they're not easy. And in 2009 at Arizona State, you won the national championship. So without going through the whole week, day by day, round by round, shot by shot, can you just give some of your most vivid memories of that week, a national championship? And you could win another, but that was certainly your first and would have to be really, really important to you. Vivid memories. Wow. Well, it was at Caves Valley, which is just one of those special places on the planet. Um, my assistant coach, Missy Farr, 
Kay uh, had battled cancer that year and not even sure if she'd be able to make it because, you know, she was recovering and finished with chemo and all the things. But then a lot of people don't know that she had to have a hysterectomy and a, and blood transfusions like three days before she traveled. And we really didn't know if she was going to make it. And they told us that, you know, no golf carts, which on the men's side, that's a norm. And for the women's side, that's not. Um, so I was mapping out a plan for her to be able to, to walk as, as minimal as possible. And then the committee decided to, um, to grant her the use of a golf cart, which mm. was the right thing to do. And um, we had done some team building with Dr. Debbie Cruz and uh, with, with her horses just some of the coolest things, you know, that, that, that the horses can really teach you. And I, I, that's a whole nother story. But when we, when we drove out to Caves Valley and all this beautiful horse property, and we had just done a, a cool team building with the horses. And so that resonated. But then when it came down to the very last day, um, we had a, we had a chance to win. And I was a harmonious, great player, uh, you know, national champion herself and she said you know we we're all like what are we gonna wear and blah 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 and she's like i do not care about what we wear coach you always say let your clubs do the talking and so we should wear khaki pants white shirt maroon hat so we did we looked didn't look sharp <laughs> <laughs> but 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 we were gonna let the clubs do the talking and uh we were I don't know. I can't remember, you know, where we were on the scoreboard, but the last five holes were just unbelievable. Um, the birdies started falling, you know, from every single player on our team. And we just finished so strong. And I'd had, I put in my phone, I put um, reminders and set a time like every 15 minutes to breathe is what I put. It just would come up as a, as a, as a reminder on my phone, breathe. Mm. And just to, you know, slow myself down and remind the girls to breathe and, you know, just, but it always, it's a, it's a long week. And I always tell them like, you know, every step you take, you have to feel stronger rather than more tired. And I said, so every step you take in those last five holes, you're going to feel stronger. You're going to feel stronger. And they just rose to the occasion and it was magical and it was amazing. And, had such a great team and great camaraderie and oh my gosh, it was just, it was just a, it, it, with Missy and the whole year, you know, we lost Anna Nordquist to the LPGA tour at semester. So everyone thought, Oh, there, you know, there goes ASU because she was such a, such an exceptional player. Um, and it, and, and we got it done and it was amazing. And again, another memory that I'll never forget and will always cherish as something I want my players to experience. Mm. Well, I think you still have belief that that could happen at Auburn, right? I do. I do. I don't know why it wouldn't then. <laughs> um, so I think that one of the best things college golf coaches do, one, one of the best things they do besides train, you know, young athletes to be better versions of themselves on, on and on and on. We could go on for days on that, but one of the best things we do is we help each other. And, mm. I know that I've received a ton of great advice through the years from coaches. I've also given what I thought was good advice to young coaches or even veteran coaches. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received 
from another coach and not your mom in somebody else besides your mom? Well, if my mom had given me advice, I probably was too stubborn to listen to it. That was one of my <laughs> fallacies starting out in coaching. Um, I would say recruit good character. Um, and I, I truly believe that because I have, um, I've made some recruiting mistakes in the past, um, maybe feeling uh, a little desperate, you know, coming to a new school or, you know, trying to, you know, grab that player. Um, you know, I, 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 I learned that and I passed on a top player because I saw something that I was not thrilled with out, out on the road, you know, recruiting, you know, Linda Volstead was, I mean, she did these seminars for years and I attended every single one of them. And I learned so much from her uh, because she really studied and learned how to be a coach. And so, um, you know, when you're out there recruiting, it's not a time to be making friends with other coaches and chatting and catching up. There's time for that. Maybe go to dinner. But um, when I'm on the golf course, I'm there to observe. And I, I don't want to have earphones in my ears. I want to hear what's being said. I want to have eye contact. You know, if I'm around the green, I want to take my sunglasses off. I want to have a, a chance to have that connection with it, with a prospect. And those are things that I learned from Linda. And, you know, sometimes I think other coaches might think that I'm, you know, not into being very friendly. Um, and I think a lot of them don't know me, but I think when they get to know me, they think I'm, you know, I actually have a pretty good sense of humor and like to have fun and, um, you know, maybe a different persona. But when I'm out there, I really, I'm there to recruit and, and I want to see everything that's happened and I want to see how they treat their parents. And that's probably the biggest indicator. If I see, see some, a young lady treat her parents poorly, I'm not going to invite that kid in my program especially now I've been at this for too long that, um, you know, there's too many good ones out there. And I see, you know, someone that's not appreciative. I want to be appreciated for the hard work that, that we that my assistant and I put in and all the people around us put in. And, you know, if they, if they show up at our program, they don't have good character, they don't last long. And so I think that's really a responsibility of recruiting good characters so you don't have to move anybody along. That is great advice. Undervalued and uh, the fact that you maybe aren't making a ton of coaching friends on the golf course recruiting says a lot about what you're trying to do. You're actually evaluating, not just babysitting or watching. You're evaluating, is this person the right person for my program? And if it's not, then, then good job in recruiting that day. You're not going to invite that person to your program. Well said. Um, speaking of that, I've watched, uh, through the years, obviously men's and women's teams don't cross paths that very often, but I do, I have seen you and I did coach women's golf one year. <laughs> and, I remember, uh, I remember <laughs> you walked all over the greens yeah. and got uh, like a four shot penalty for your team. No, a six shot penalty for the team. I don't six. know when they came up with six, but <laughs> anyway, I think it's the only six shot penalty in history. So I'm pretty proud of that. But, um, I've watched and paid attention to other coaches. In fact, I'm reading right now uh, Pat Summit's book, Sum It Up. I think you can learn from male, female, other sports, your sport, whatever. I think you can learn all the time. But I've watched you 
create what I think is a very fun team culture. It looks like your girls are having a great time. Always has, whether you're at Tulsa, Arizona State, or now Harvard. Uh, but conversely, I also know you're somewhat of a disciplinarian. I know you've got a little bit of what your mom had in you, in her. Uh, so how have you been able to mesh those two together, being this fun culture, let's, we're having a blast, this is great time, and also being very disciplined? How, how do you put those two together for success? I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> but looking back, I mean, I've been extremely fortunate. I've only had three assistants in my whole career. And so I really attribute that to my assistants. Um, you know, I'm the head coach, so I have to deal with the rules and the discipline and, you know, set things up. But like Missy was a lot of fun. She and I had a lot of fun together. Uh, Andrew Pratt was, I mean, I would cry laughing so hard. Um, you know, what a great coach he was and is, and he's now at Moore's Mill being the director of instruction, doing great for his family. Um, and then my current assistant is Kim Hall, a great player at Stanford, played the LPGA tour, um, you know, mom of two kids. And, uh, you know, she brings like West coast rap out on the, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I don't even know that stuff, you know? So it's, I, I really attribute it to my assistants, like being the, you know, the, the, the yin and the yang is, I think it's really important. You know, I could think I got lucky with my assistants, but if, if I ever do have to hire another assistant, that's something I'll definitely be looking for is some, someone that's compliments me. Um, I do think I have a fun spirit. Um, I love what I do and um, it's okay to, to laugh and have a good time. And I always tell my team, there's a time and a place for, having a good time and during season is not the time and it's not the place. Um, but there's other ways to have a good time. And that's by, you know, posting good scores and, and having a chance to win. So, um, you know, I, I was in a sorority and I had a great time in college and played great golf and, you know, got a great degree. So I, I really think you can, you can blend things and, and do things. My mom always did say one does not live by golf alone. And if you get bogged down, you know, I think Anna Norquist is a, a bit of a great example of someone that was so focused on golf in college that I think looking back, she would say she might have missed out on, on some things, but it was part of her success. I'm so, and I kept saying like, Anna, you need to, you know, branch out and get a hobby, do something else. Like if she was going to read, it was going to be about golf and she was so obsessed with it. And now as a, as an adult and as a very successful tour player, she has a lot of different interests. And I think those are the things that have helped, helped her through some tough, some tough times. Hmm. Very well. Well, I'm glad you gave your uh, credit for the fun part of it to your assistant coaches. Uh, but that also says a lot about you that you understood what you needed in an assistant coach. It couldn't be somebody who was just like you, even though you do have a fun loving side, the, Part of you that that I think is probably what's made you most successful is the fact that you are disciplined, the fact that you are a disciplinarian of sorts, but it's great that you've got an assistant coach that can fulfill the other role. Um, I've done some research, and I haven't been able to do enough research to confirm that I'm correct, but I think you, you and your mother, Dale, are the only mother-daughter combination to coach teams to NCAA championship titles. I know you're the only 
women or mother daughter combination for the Women's Golf Coaches Association Hall of Fame and the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame. Same thing. That's a pretty good legacy that you get to share with your mom um, to to know that, you know, that's pretty special. And she was a coach long before you ever thought you would be a coach. And you you decided to be a coach and and yet you've succeeded on a very, very high level. Um, do you think looking down on you now, your mom is probably very proud of that you continued that legacy of hers or not? Oh, I think she's very proud. Um, you know, when she was she was so, you know, she was the one that got me into coaching. And, um, you know, just by her encouragement and, and belief in me and kind of pushing me along, still being a mom. Um, yeah, I think she's really proud. I think there's still things that she critiques, would critique today. You know, like I let the girls wear, have a choice between you know, that they wear slack, shorts, or a skirt in the same color. So we're still in team uniforms, but I want them to wear what they are comfortable playing in that day. And she was vehemently against that because she thought it still didn't look like a team. Uh, so just little things like that, that we would, you know, she was like, Oh, I think you should get orange gloves for them for their, you know, to, you know, for, for Auburn. I'm like, there is no way that they're going to wear, <laughs> use an orange glove, you know? So little things like that, that she would, you know, bring up in her later days. And, and I'm like, mom, it just, it just yeah. thank you, but no, thanks. <laughs> hmm. Um, but, you know, when I went to ASU, um, she was super supportive, which, you know, tough. Like it was it was her program. And uh, I was still I was really, truly struggling those first couple of years in coaching and really wasn't sure if, if, if it was something that I was really cut out to do. And then I kind of felt like I was bringing her program down, to be honest. Um, and I really couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And that's really what spurred me on to leave and go to ASU, which was just a great opportunity, but um, she was supportive. They were financially quite supportive. It was quite different um, than what I was experiencing at Tulsa. Uh, opportunity for bonuses, think, just things that were just a new and open world for me as a coach. And, um, you know, learned an awful lot. Uh, and she would wear her maroon and gold to tournaments that just liked about to kill her because uh, <laughs> that was always such a rival. Um, great respect to Linda Volstead, but I mean, that was a big rivalry between the two. And then uh, something about when I, when I chose to come to Auburn and she visited here with me uh, after I accepted the job and she just fell in love with Auburn and She's like, this is the place that you're supposed to be. And it's, I've made more friends here. Uh, I've just, my quality of life is amazing. Um, the support is amazing. And so she was really very pleased. She loved coming to visit. Um, my friends like brought her in and, you know, always had celebrations together and her birthday celebrations just for my mom. I mean, it was just, it's just a special, special place. And she passed away knowing that I was in the right place. That's great. Well, you know, I, I don't have a lot of regrets. One of them is that I didn't get your mom on my podcast before she passed. <laughs> and by the time that I really thought about it, uh, she had already, she was sick at the time, but I, 
Mm-hmm. I wish I'd have done that. She would, you know, she and my sister share a lot. Your mother won yeah. seven Oklahoma State Amateur Championships and pa- my twin sister, Patty, won nine. So they 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 had that. And basically her last one was right before Patty won her first one. So yeah. um, they were the two of the greatest women, uh, female amateurs in the history of the state. So that's great. And both of them in the uh, Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame. So I'm proud of that connection. I know you're. I remember. I remember when when Patty uh, won her eighth, and my mom could not have been more happy for her. You know, I actually remember Patty telling me that that your mom had reached out to her. So, mm. yeah, that's great. Well, gosh, this has been fun catching up um, today, Melissa. I I know you have a great team this year, and I want to wish you the best of luck this spring. And hopefully, uh, we are in. Uh, at La Costa just a day or so after you all are at La Costa this coming spring. Yes, I, I really hope that our paths cross and it has been just really wonderful kind of a trip down memory lane and uh, I just think it's awesome what you're doing and and I really respect you as a coach um, and as a person and just you're you just love golf and you love coaching and that inspires me and I love your book too. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it, Melissa. Have a great brand new new year, and we'll see you hopefully this spring. Thank you.